How many of you would just say with an uplifted hand, you identify with that last song? I don't think anyone should, should not identify with it because when things get uh, more difficult, that just gives God more opportunity to um, show His grace to us, and I trust uh, that's been your experience as well. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew, the 12th chapter. We've just come off a wonderful week of preaching from God's Word by our visiting evangelist. And as I mentioned, it's important for us to have meetings such as this. Number one, because an evangelist has a biblically mandated ministry. And number two, the Bible clearly teaches that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. We said that's an application of that particular passage of Scripture, and that's a passage of Scripture we'll come to eventually, if the Lord wills, uh, and the Lord doesn't come back before uh, we get to chapter 18, but uh, uh, I trust uh, we'll enjoy that, uh, that as well. But it's not only important that I preach and teach God's Word, but that you hear the same thing proclaimed by another God-called preacher, so you don't think it's just my opinion that you hear uh, from this pulpit. Uh, Some of the things our evangelist spoke of, I believe, fit right into our study here in Matthew. And I'm always amazed about the timing of God. We begin this morning with a question. Did Jesus abolish the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath. Did Jesus do away with it? Did he abolish that? Uh, Loud debates on that subject have raged through the centuries among Christians, and they even continue to to this day. Our study may not solve all the issues involved, but I hope it will satisfy uh, some of the questions that Christians might have concerning the Sabbath. So we might profit from the Bible's teaching on this particular subject. I would call this one of those can't-see-the-trees-for-the-forest issues in Christianity. It comes primarily in an effort to avoid seriousness in Lord's Day observance on the one hand and an almost Pharisaic observance on the other hand. Families and friends and uh, uh, churches have split over uh, the particulars of this particular subject. Uh, What should be considered a gift to the church has often been turned into a plague among Christians, but it need not be so. Jesus Christ clarified the Sabbath for kingdom citizens. And we must therefore seek to enjoy the Sabbath rather than endure it by following the Lord of the Sabbath's teaching. Now, is the Christian's Sabbath, that is, the Lord's Day, just another legalistic code from which we ought to run? In other words, we would call this day, the Lord's Day, Sunday, as the Christian's Sabbath. Is it something that's just legalistic? You've got to come to church or else you're not going to, you're not going to make it through uh, uh, your Christian life. You're not going to be saved if you don't come to church. Uh, or can there be some positive benefits by right understanding and right practice on the Lord's day? I want us to consider this teaching from the words of our Lord uh, this morning here in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew. Notice, first of all, the Sabbath's purpose. The Sabbath's purpose. What is it? The word Sabbath 
literally means seventh, or metaphorically, it could mean rest. Uh, there are other languages that uh, use the word, they're very similar, like the Spanish language. Uh, Sabato means Saturday, and Domingo means the Lord's way. Uh, Lord's Day. Now that's about the extent of my Spanish speaking ability, other than the fact I can say taco, burrito, enchilada. And that's a, other, other than that, that's about it. But uh, uh, the Lord's Day is the, the day we call Sunday, or the Sunday is the day we call Lord, the Lord's Day. But what did it mean to Jewish life? What did it mean to Jewish life? First of all, notice a commemoration of God's rest a commemoration of God's rest as Creator. Uh, Sabbath has very much was very much a part of the Jewish life and worship. As a part of the Ten Commandments, it was numbered as an aspect of moral law. And though its practice was often steeped in ceremonial issues, and uh, yet its foundational precept is moral. It is a, a command, the command to work, then to rest. Men have a moral obligation. That is, uh, uh, we have a moral obligation to work. Countless texts would condemn laziness as one of the worst sins. And if there's any time we see a lot of laziness in this world, and particularly in the United States, it's today. A lot of laziness, a lot of people not working uh, when they could work. Now, I understand about uh, the unemployment uh, uh, issues and so forth. And many say, well, I, don't, I can't work because I can't find a job. Well, how hard are they working to, to find that job? The lazy man that does not care for his own family, the Bible tells us, is worse than an infidel. But men cannot always work. God uh, placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work, but then he established for him to also worship. Not only to work, but to worship. Work and worship, labor and rest, they are built into the dynamic of human existence, and the fourth commandment expresses it in a moral way, in a moral terms. It's fitting that the creature's existence uh, reflect the Creator. The Bible tells us for six days the Creator worked at creation, and on the seventh day He rested. And that set forth a pattern uh, of observation and commendation so that man, the creature, has a natural need for the Sabbath built into his moral framework of being made in God's image. Now, by practical observations, I've observed over the years uh, companies that have required their employees to work constantly, seven days a week, and before long, the employees countenances began to change, the work becomes drudgery, complaints are widespread, productivity lowers, and the employees become very dissatisfied. The human engine, so to speak, is not made to go continually 24-7. We all need that rest. And as creator, the Creator rested from in His work of creation, so the creature needs the Sabbath rest to be restored and invigorated by his, in his labors. So we see it's a commemoration of God's rest uh, as creator. Secondly, we see a distortion by legalism. A, a distortion by legalism. Sabbath observances reached a new level among the ancient Israelites. 
As a day hallowed to the Lord, they found it to be unlike other days. There would be no manna that would fall on the Sabbath. Fire were, fires were not to burn in the little shelters of the people. Uh, the routine labors uh, ceased. And unlike their pagan neighbors that knew nothing of the Lord in their hearts, the Israelites would outwardly display their devotion to Him by Sabbath observance. And it was a testimony that the Lord was among them and that they were more devoted to Him uh, than their own endeavors. But as with anything our hands touch, even that which was intended for good became corrupted by legalism. And this is where we pick up our text here in Matthew chapter 12, notice verse 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Why the Pharisees were in the cornfield, we can only guess. They were probably there with their legalistic eagle eyes trying to get somebody to mess up, so to speak. They sought to use the multiplicities of Sabbath rules and regulations to condemn Christ and his disciples. But after the Jewish exiles re returned from Babylon, they began a zealous effort to uh, correct their previous Sabbath breaking. For the next 400 years, they, they put together all kinds of details, all kinds of re regulations for the Sabbath observance in order to kind of accrue credit for Israel by such practice. The rabbinic Helica lists dozens and dozens of regulations for the Sabbath. For instance, one could take no more than 3,000 steps and carry no more than half a dried, the weight of a half a dried fig, and they could not spit on the soft soil lest that spittle be uh, uh, made to plow the ground. Now those are some of the uh, regulations that they came, you know, don't spit because that spit might go through the ground and yet they could be called plowing. Uh, they would say rubbing grain in one's hand. You take some grain and rub it in the hand, that's considered thrashing. If you would blow away the chaff, that would be called winnowing. See, that's forbidden on the Sabbath. And so Christ and his disciples, they were accused of doing some unlawful acts on the Sabbath. What was meant to refresh and to restore became a monstrous strain upon the mind and the senses. You see, counting steps or weighing burdens or guarding against even movements related to their meals became a national obsession. Even today, some Orthodox Jews are bound by similar practices and have developed some nifty ways to observe the letter of man's made man-made laws without overstressing themselves. The 300 or 3,000 step prohibition is for steps outside one's home. And so to get around this, some have stretched ropes far beyond their homes as extensions of their homes so they could walk freely within their, quote, homes without needing to use all the 3,000 steps outside the home. Very, uh, very difficult to try to uh, keep uh, all these things straight. And the places, places they want to frequent on the Sabbath were in within the ropes. And yet for all the strain and the effort, no one ever accumulated 
one shred of righteousness before God with such diligent observance. And that which should have been a regular delight became a cheapened attempt at self-righteousness. They missed the heart of the law. The heirs of such practice are not just among the modern Orthodox Jews. They are among Christians as well today. Some have allowed their Sabbath observances, now primarily on Sunday, uh, through, uh, though with exceptions. And they have put great deal of legalism upon, on uh, those who would uh, be under their direction. I read about an island in Scotland where those who were truly spiritual don't shave on the Lord's day because that would be not necessary work. You like that one, Bob? Don't shave on Sunday. One visitor to this place, uh, uh, Scotland, tells of an experience while attending a church in Edinburgh. Uh, he, was, had, he had a wonderful time of Lord's Day worship and, and hearty singing, excellent preaching. And he said he was so energized by that that he began whistling a psalm tune on his way back to his room. And he said a great highland hand found its way to his shoulder, and he turned around to see the, one of the ruling elders standing there, and he said to him, Son, the Lord's day is no day for whistling. You got that, ma'am? No day for whistling. That's the whistler over there. And uh, so uh, you better not do that in Scotland anyway. But it appears that most Lord's Day discussions center on what one cannot do. However, that is precisely what the Pharisees are doing. Instead of seeing how Jesus clarified the Sabbath observance, so we might delight and not dread the Lord's Day. Uh, so notice here, the second thing we want to look at is the Sabbath's practice. The Sabbath's practice. How is it to be observed? Rather than focusing on what cannot be done on the Sabbath, what seems to be more of what we think when we talk about Sabbath issues, Jesus takes the higher road of how the Sabbath should be utilized. Perhaps some that object to the Lord's uh, Christians' Lord's Day so uh, do so out of earnest desire to avoid practices of legalism. Some people say, you know, I don't have to go to church on Sunday. Uh, no matter what anybody says, I don't have to go. Because if I, you want me to go to church, then I, that's legalism. You're telling me I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Well, uh, or you, some people say, well, you can't do this on Sunday. You can't do that on Sunday. Perhaps some that object to the Lord's Day do so because they want to avoid that kind of legalism. And that's commendable. But we must not have the classic case of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. To do away with the day's observance completely is to go the opposite direction of legalism into what's called antinomianism. And that's where we have grace that gives us freedom to do whatever we please. Some have good intentions, no doubt, but we must correct our intentions and we must follow God's Word. God's Word is the most important thing when it comes to looking at any issue that we might come up. You know, we can pick a, another person apart by what they do not do on uh, Sunday or what they do on Sunday. 
uh, and I'm using that uh, Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Instead, we must not stoop to the legalism of the Pharisees, but we need to, what we need to do is see the delights of Christ set forth in correcting misconceptions of the Lord's day. Applying these corrections to uh, the Lord's day as we know it today. First of all, I think we should realize that the Lord's day is to be a day to be refreshed. The Lord's day is to be a day to be refreshed. Notice verse 3. He says, But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungered, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. The issue that the Pharisees used to attack Christ and his disciples was the rubbing and the blowing of the husk of grain, likely barley, and then eating it in the field. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25, it allowed for such practice in another person's field as long as a sickle was not used. It was meant to give room for displays of brotherly kindness and meeting another person's need. But the Pharisees were quick to observe that among the scores of rabbinic laws regarding the Sabbath were the prohibitions of rubbing and blowing grain husk on the Sabbath. But such a mindset missed the meaning of the Sabbath. And Jesus questions them about whether they had really read the story of David taking the showbread for himself and for his hungry men. I think one thing he does right here is, makes, uh, is, is what we should pay attention to. Do we know what God's Word says? He says, have you read or haven't you read the Bible? Haven't you studied God's Word? Haven't you, uh, don't you know what God's Word says? And many times when we hear people say, well, you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you should do this, or you should do that, many times it's based upon their opinions or some tradition of man, not based upon what God's Word says. As we said this morning, already in our adult Sunday school class, the, the Word of God is to be uh, our guide. David here was on the run from Saul and found himself without food for his men. And so he appealed to Amalek, the high priest, for food. And he had none but the consecrated loaves that were placed before the Lord and eaten by the priest. And this was holy bread in a ceremonial sense. But need took precedence over the ceremonial observance. David took the loaves and neither David nor Amalek uh, were blamed for doing wrong, even though the ceremonial law prescribed the bread for the priest. David and his men's refreshment physically took precedence over the ceremony. But here's the point of Christ concerning the Lord's day observance. Or as it's talked about here, the Sabbath. It's a time to be refreshed rather than bogged down by ceremonial regulations. The disciples were hungry after uh, having evidently made their early Sabbath morning journey without breakfast. Uh, it was more important for them to be refreshed by eating handfuls of grain than to accommodate the rituals of men that attached to Sabbath. And so Christ declared the disciples to be innocent of violating the Sabbath commandment, even though they were gathering food. They needed to be refreshed for more service to Christ. And whatever was necessary to refresh them uh, meant with Christ's approval. The Lord's day should be a day 
of rekindling, recharging uh, ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And what refreshes you might not refresh me, and vice versa. But we must find our actions suit our particular lifestyles and personalities and present needs in order to be refreshed. The Lord's Day is a day to be refreshed. Secondly, it's a time to worship. It's a time to worship. Notice verse 5. Have you not read in the, day, in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Again, Christ chides the Pharisees for boasting of their knowledge of the Scriptures and yet not understanding some basic truths. Christ sets up a predicament uh, uh, or a, of a situation uh, for which these uh, that could be serious for these religious leaders. Uh, they called for the complete ending of work, right down to the regulating the weight of what someone could carry or the movements that they could make uh, with their hands on Sabbath. But here were the priests breaking all the laws of prohibiting work themselves. You see, the priests, along with the help of the Levites, accepted sacrifices. They built fires upon the altar. They offered incense. They slew the sacrifices. They carried the basins of blood. They cut up, uh, they carried the cut up sacrifices. They lifted the wood and the sacrifices upon the altar. And they maintained the temple all on the Sabbath. But Christ said they were innocent of a Sabbath offense, even though they were working harder than anybody worked on that day. Pharisees so burdened people with Sabbath regulations that worship was the least in their thoughts. People were more concerned about breaking a regulation than seeing the Sabbath day as a day of worship. And their kin remains among us. You know, it's so easy on the Lord's day to slip into a pharisaical mode of don't do this, do this, watch out for that, cross your T, dot your I, comb your hair, straighten your tie, and sit straight. Yet all the while we forget that the Lord has especially given us this day as a day of worship. And this is contrasted with the Sabbath being a day of corporate rest in reflection upon the rest of God in His work for creation. And the Lord's Day being a day of corporate worship in response to Christ's resurrection in His work of redemption. The latter seems to exceed the former in the redemption is grander than creation. Would you not think so? Yes, creation was great, but redemption is even greater. We're to be a worshiping people. Yes, day by day, and of course, every day of the week, we're to be a worshiping people, but particularly on the Lord's Day. That means that observance of the Lord's Day is incomplete, even violated without worship. Uh, the practice of the early church from which we discover our own uh, prescriptions for personal and corporate life was to gather on the Lord's Day. Uh, this is what the early church began to do. That's why we're gathering together, or assembling ourselves together on the Lord's Day. Now the Jewish Christians evidently continu continued observing the Sabbath as an institution that was applied particularly to some of the integral de details of their lives, but they quickly added the Lord's Day observance to this. And though they surely were bound to carry on their regular life, uh, work life at first, well, the day, the Lord's Day, gradually took precedence over the Sabbath for Christians. It was a day of worshiping the risen Lord. 
Someone has said, we do not keep the Sabbath holy, talking about the fourth commandment, by lounging around doing nothing. We are to rest from the business of our earthly calling in order to uh, prosecute the business of our heavenly calling. Has there ever been a time when you miss Sunday because you were sick or because you just didn't go to church or you felt something uh, uh, like, you, you know, I just don't feel like going to church today. Ever, ever missed a Sunday and you feel like, well, oh, I missed something this week. Something's not right. You go from one week to the next and there's no Sunday uh, observance in there. You didn't go to church. I sometimes wonder about folks who are irregular in their church attendance. What do they think about on Sunday? You know, our business is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We must all work to provide for our families and to keep our homes and labor uh, uh, for our education and schooling and so forth and to develop socially. Uh, But if we're not careful, we can allow these good things to squeeze out the greater thing. The worship of our God. And so the Lord has given us a day that reminds us of the work of worship. Just as the priest worked at worship on the Sabbath, even so must we work at worship as well. I think it's something we must work at. It's a work that should be delightful, should be exhilarating. We should be, uh, we are called to be humble ourselves under God's mighty hand to seek his face, to contemplate the glory of our, our triune God, to magnify the redeeming work of Christ, to anticipate the joy before us. And that requires some time. Some people say, well, I don't have time to go to church. I've got too much other things to do. Well, maybe we need to put our time and our energy into and our work into worshiping the Lord requires time and energy and thought and voice and body. You know, this uh, thing, I'm with you in spirit but not in body, doesn't work. It's God's work that we do in worship. If the priests could labor so diligently on Sabbath in the temple that represented the Lord's presence, how much more should we faithfully labor at worship in the real presence of Him who is our, the Lord of our individual lives as well as the Lord of our church? Or is church just something we add to our schedule? It needs to be a time of worship. And then thirdly, it needs to be a time to do acts of mercy. To do acts of mercy. And the Pharisees missed the heart and soul of God's law and true reverential obedience. It was not outward ceremony that God desired, but true service by acts of mercy and compassion. Look at verse 7. It says, But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Jesus proceeded to the synagogue where the Pharisees were waiting for him to trap him on yet another Sabbath regulation. If a man was dying, he could be helped on the Sabbath day. Uh, 
he could be helped on the Sabbath day, those practice of healing, the healing arts. But if he was infirmed and would last until the next day, then, of course, the strict Sabbatarians would say, well, you have to refrain in helping him just to, in, order, in order to honor the Sabbath. And notice here that Jesus reveals the hypocrisy of this neglect. He says in verse 9, And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? And they might accuse, that they might accuse him. And he said unto them, what, a man shall, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not, he not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much then is the man better than a sheep? Wherefore is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? And then he said to the man, Stretch forth thy hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. As he did so often, Christ used an example from normal life to make his point. If a man's sheep fall into the pit on the Sabbath, it would surely last, would last until the next day, wouldn't it? But not a man among whom them would have let a bleeding animal suffer. The poor animal would have been given some Sabbath relief. The point Christ is making is how much... How much then is a man better than a sheep? He says, wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. What, what, what has more value, the sheep or the man? The one who's uh, made in God's image? When he says, wherefore it is lawful, wherefore draws a conclusive point, saying it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath. And when he says to do well, that refers to acts of compassion, of mercy, and of service and kindness. Jesus establishes the Sabbath and certainly the Lord's Day as a time of compassionate service. You know, we must not think of ourselves, think only of ourselves, I should say. We must not only think of ourselves and our rest on the Lord's Day. We need to be thinking about others. It's a day to pray for one another. It's a day to encourage one another. It's a, it's a day to show kindness to the downcast. It's, it's a day to give hope to those without the gospel. It's a day to share out of your provisions uh, with those that have need. It's a day to befriend the lonely. It's a day to visit the infirmed. Perhaps there's nothing so convicting about this study than this very thing. We refresh ourselves and we worship the Lord on the Lord's day, but do we consider ways in which we can minister to other people? The text calls for a reorientation of our lives to order our Lord's day schedule so that we seek to serve others. It's not just a day to worship and to refresh ourselves, but it's a day to serve and do acts of mercy. How do you do this? The Lord's Day is a time to be refreshed. It's a time to worship, and it's a time to serve with acts of mercy. Now notice thirdly here this morning, the Sabbath's permanence. The Sabbath's permanence, is it still valid? Well, it's clear that we would reject the strict Sabbatarian view that would even refrain from shaving on the Lord's Day. We would say that's silly. 
Uh, we would reject that unless we offend uh, by working. Uh, we would also reject the idea that it doesn't matter what we do on Sundays. Sure, we're to worship and to serve, but we're also to do that throughout the rest of the week, aren't we? I would remind you, however, that there are, we have very short memories. The fourth commandment tells us, remember the Sabbath day keep to keep it holy. The Lord's Supper is also a memorial of, or remembrance. So often in the Psalms, as well as in other passages, the biblical writers are not telling something new, but they're recalling what people already know. And to remind them of God's works and His goodness and His commandments. Paul often wrote people by way of remembrance. He used that phrase, by way of remembrance. And so we need the Lord's day. If nothing else, then to remember the Lord, to remember His mercies and our relationship to Him. First of all, notice a case for dismissal. A case for dismissal. Should the whole idea of Sabbath be dismissed? Now, if Jesus was going to dismiss the Sabbath command and principle, then this particular situation was an ideal time for Him to do it. If it really doesn't have any meaning, if it's something we should not be doing, this particular situation would have been a time for Jesus to say, you don't have to do this anymore. He clearly dismissed the rituals and the ceremonies that were associated with Judaism. Because in the epistle of, to the Hebrews, it makes it very clear that the outward ceremonies are no longer needed, including the sacrificial system and the earthly temple. But the Sabbath was never dismissed. It was clarified, though, and that's what we see Jesus doing here in our text. He's clarifying it, but he's not dismissing it. He says here, Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a day, and, and His day, and His to dismiss, or clarify, or reinforce, or change. And we see the early Christians moving from a particularly Jewish observance to a distinctively Christian observance of the Lord's day. As the Lord of the Sabbath, Christ claimed to fulfill all of the Old Testament. You see that? Uh, in the scriptures that Christ claimed to fulfill all the Old Testament ceremonial system. All the pageantry, all the, the ceremonies, they were shadows pointing to Christ. Secondly, Christ's observance in the Sabbath was for proper heart observance. Proper heart observance rather than legalistic outward observances. You know, you can come to church every Sunday and you can sing, you can, you can pray, bow your head when there's, there's prayer, you can open your Bibles. All that's an outward thing. If there's nothing going on in your heart, though, it's all useless. Christ is calling for a proper heart observance, not legalistic outward observance. He set forth a completely new attitude concerning the fourth commandment, just as he did for the sixth and the seventh commandments in Matthew chapter 5. And then the transition of the church from Sabbath to observing the Lord's day is undeniable. On the first day of the week became, became a shorthand phrase for this practice. Remember the disciples, they broke bread on the first day of the week. The Corinthian church was instructed to lay aside their gifts uh, when they gathered on the first day of the week. 
John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Many of our forefathers called Sunday the Christian Sabbath. And indeed, it is distinctly a Christian practice of the fourth commandment. And so the plain truth is that our Lord did not abolish the law of weekly Sabbath. His, he only freed it to, uh, from the incorrect interpretations, and He purified it from the man-made additions. He didn't tear it out of the Ten Commandments. He only stripped it of the miserable traditions with which the Pharisees had encrusted that day and by which they had made it not a blessing, but a burden. So the case for dismissal certainly is not, uh, uh, not there. When Jesus clarified it, he didn't dismiss it. But notice then, lastly, a cause for delight. A cause for delight. Again, in verse 8, it says, For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. This gives us cause for rejoicing that God intended for our good and enjoyment finds it fulfillment and expression in Christ. He gives the Sabbath meaning and He he gives it purpose. The Sabbath, our Lord's Day, our Sunday, and God would grant to us that we might have delight in this day into His glory. You know, the Lord told Israel that a sure sign of reformation and spiritual vitality among them would be when they called the Sabbath a delight. He actually said that in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. And my question this morning is, do you delight in the Lord's day? It's a day of refreshment, it's a day of corporate worship, but it's also a day of service. And I'm thankful for each one of you that are here this morning. If you're here and you're worshiping and glorifying the Lord, then that is commendable. But if you're just here out of a sense of duty, then you need to rethink your motives. If you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then attending church every day wouldn't do you any good. We could have church every day of the week, but if you don't have a relationship with Christ, church attendance will not make any difference. But I trust you're here because of your love for the Lord. What about the rest of the day? What about attending the evening service? What about uh, realizing uh, that some uh, may only be able to be here because of physical limitations? But let me encourage you to be here as often as you can. Our evangelist said this week that we need the preaching of God's Word. We need to hear God's Word often so that we might grow in our lives. We might be thinking like we should. May the Lord help us to delight in his day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity just to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the the strength physically. Some are not able to be here because of sickness or because of, of physical limitations. We thank you, Lord, that we were able to walk into the service this morning. Uh, Lord, maybe some of us walked in uh, with someone else's help, but we came. Thank you, Lord, that you're able to, uh, to meet with us through the singing the, uh, and the uh, worship of, of your word uh, by its preaching this morning. Lord, help us to be thankful. Help us to delight in what you have for us. Help us not be so selfish about the Lord's day 
that everything's uh, centered around our own, self, our own lives. But Lord, we pray that you'll uh, help us to think about what you're, what you're saying here in your word. As we've studied your word this morning, we've looked at what you've said and what you've said to the Pharisees and those around in that day. Lord, help us to consider these things and meditate upon them for our own lives as well. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, never trusted Christ for their salvation, that they would come to know Him and so that this day could be a delight and church attendance would not be a drudgery but a delight. We pray, Lord, for us who have known You for many years. We pray, Lord, again, we wouldn't uh, just look at this day as, as another religious duty or something we have to do. Okay, uh, I'll just go to church because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Lord, we pray, Lord, we come because we want to be here. We want to fellowship with other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to hear your word preached. We want to learn. We want to grow in our Christian lives. Lord, help us to uh, be mindful of not only uh, the refreshing that the preaching of God's word can be, but just being with people who love you. We pray, Lord, that you'll recharge our batteries, so to speak, as we gather. Encourage our hearts and help us to be motivated to go from this place and serving you. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless the message to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.